a reading from the Song of Solomon. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The word of the Lord. Psalm for day, today is Psalm 45. We will read responsively by the half verse, as indicated by the asterisk. My heart is stirring with a noble song. Let me recite what I have fashioned for the king. My tongue shall be the pen of a skilled writer. You are the fairest of men. Grace flows from your lips because God has blessed you forever. Your throne, O oh God, endures forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness and scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate inequity. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. And the music of strings from ivory palaces makes you glad. King's daughters stand among the ladies of the court. On your right hand, queen, adorned with the gold of all. A reading from James. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from heaven, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in the mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forgot, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unsustained by the world. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it, 
And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold the human tradition. And then Jesus called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel of the Lord. You know, it's actually sort of a little bit of a nice intro that we made a mistake in the bulletin. Because in that way, church is just like, well, my life outside of church, full of mistakes and the opportunity to participate or not in grace. And uh, with that in mind, it's maybe helpful to, to introduce, we are part of uh, the Revised Common Lectionary. And most of you know this, we have four readings every Sunday. There's all, almost always a Hebrew Bible reading and a psalm and a reading from the New Testament, usually a letter. And, uh, you know, we get some, some titillating moments when we get to hear from the apocalypse of Revelation, but not too many because you might not come back. Uh, and then always there's a gospel, you know. And, and the lectionary is designed to take you sort of on a tour of Scripture every three years. Now, you don't see all of the sites, but you get sort of a swath of, of the narrative and um, relies on a couple of things. One, uh, since the Reformation, one of the goals of lectionary preaching is not just that we read this business, but the, the object of the sermon is to show how seemingly disparate texts are woven together into a coherent message. That's why you don't hear it done often. It's pretty difficult, <laughs> uh, depending on the week. I mean, consider today, there's an erotic love poem, and then there's this business about not washing your hands. Um, well, <laughs> I guess you could do something with that. I'm not going to do uh, what just occurred to me now. Um, <laughs> the other thing, <laughs> sorry, the other thing about uh, the lectionary that's quite interesting, and, and, and it helps coming from actually an evangelical tradition for me. The lectionary presumes you know the story already. So today's gospel skipped a few bits. Like uh, that the Pharisees said, instead of taking care of your parents in their old age, you could take the money you would have used on that and give it to the temple and make God happy. So essentially, God would accept your worship by your neglecting your parents. And Jesus, that's why he says, you hypocrites. It has less to do with the hand-washing business. The hand-washing is an intro to how they're not caring for other people. The lectionary presumes you know that. Which is why we're having a Bible study starting next Wednesday, so that you can know that. Okay. <laughs> so here's the job, and I'm going to tell you I may not succeed, uh, or I may, either one, is to try to weave these four bits together to get a coherent whole. We'll, we'll, we'll see how we do. Initially, it's about washing hands. 
tradition of the elders. Now, you know, this is not something that is in the Torah. There's not a Torah commandment that Jewish people have to wash their hands before they eat. It's not even a, a, a sanitation issue. I, I think there are scientists in the room who would vouch for the following claim. If my hands are dirty and I wash them with water, have I helped ameliorate the bacterial conditions? If so, only marginally, right? If I really wanted to do a job, I would use hand, san hand sanitizer or soap. They didn't have antibacterial soap. And in case you're wondering, we do the tradition of the elders every week right here. It's a little bit veiled behind the, the, uh, the lectern or the ambo here. This is a cruet with some water. And right before the Eucharist is celebrated every week, the verger kindly washes my hands. They do it symbolically. We all get that, right? This, this is just water. <laughs> We continue the tradition of the elders because it symbolizes this state of, hey, I'm getting ready to try to get rid of all the junk out of my life and be ready in this moment for some holiness up here. Right? That's, that's the goal. That's why we do it. And uh, this tradition Jesus is referring to is something that priests had to do. Not lay people, priests. And so the Pharisees had decided that in order to have like really good piety, lay people should act like priests. They should wash themselves ritually. They weren't worried about bacteria. They were worried about sort of a different kind of germ, like the sin germ, or the unclean germ, or the stigma germ. Now we can say, we don't believe in that stuff, we know all about microbes, but you know, like, like if you were to touch a roach, <laughs> if you washed your hands two or three times with antibacterial soap, sorry, I would still feel like dirty. That's what we're talking about, that just, there's like something on me, the spirit of contagiousness. For them, that had to do with touching dead bodies or eating food that had not been prepared in a kosher oven, etc. And the idea was that if you touched that stuff and ingested it, well, like the sin germ could sort of stick to your spirit and there you would be this defiled person. Not just, you see, with dirt, but with spiritual dirt, with debris. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say this, this lovely thing that any parent or teacher or coach has had. It's not a question. It, it is clearly a, an open-faced insult to Jesus. Why is it that your disciples don't ritually wash? Why is it that your children don't write thank you notes? Why is it that your children color the pews? I mean, we all understand those questions do not represent a real inquiry. They represent an opportunity to humiliate somebody passive-aggressively. And that's what happens. And then Jesus' reply, right, is, hey, and we get this, you're, you're sort of missing the point. It's, it's not the stuff that you put in that defiles you. What comes out of you represents whether you're defiled or not. Now, now, sometimes, an easy point, right? But sometimes we take that a little bit too liberally. I'm just going to say this one bit and then return to trying to weave this together. Sometimes I think we come to the conclusion that putting garbage in our bodies is really just fine. And, and, and I do want to make a point here and say, respectfully disagree, whether that's the food we watch or the images we watch 
or the games we play. Really easy one. When my son was in first grade, there was another boy in the class who apparently was watching pornography in the first grade. And I want to tell you, I am absolutely positive that that's not all right to put that into a child, right? And I would tell you most of that, I don't understand why we think that's okay to put into us either. I don't understand why we're okay with video games that are all about gratuitous violence and why we think that our 16-year-olds can handle that. I think garbage matters. There, I did it. Now, I want to talk about uh, the other bit, if it's okay. I want to talk about the landscape, and I want to talk about traditions of the elders. There's lots of traditions of the elders. One of the ones I learned is that in church, we're supposed to be quiet. Now, there's no biblical injunction for this exactly, but we sort of make sense that there's order and decorum. And I really learned this well as a young child because I went to church three times a week, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday evening. And sure enough, sometimes we had nursery or we had, you know, like a kid's program so that we could not be noisy in church, but we didn't always. So my mother was very adept at having things for me to do. Like, um, I actually read a lot of mythology in church. How interesting that was. Uh, or, or I had these little, we used to get them at the airport too, you know, the invisible pads where you would take the little highlighter and like peanuts would appear and it was amazing. I, I did that for like three years of my life in church. Um, and I learned how to behave in church that way. You know, you don't always have to pay attention to the sermon because there's like windows and there's art and there's people. And you just can't make noise. You just can't distract anybody. Crying babies go to the lobby. That's what I learned. My mom was really good at this. And, and I will tell you, uh, my mom is probably the best person that I know. And the only reason I have faith is because of my mom. And I'm reminded constantly that I can't really do it like she did. Because uh, when I became an Episcopalian coming out of the evangelical tradition, I was immediately floored at just the reverence. I went to one of those Anglo-Catholic churches that was really small and kind of country. Like the passing of the peace required you to shake everybody's hand and possibly give a hug. My wife would hide in the bathroom when she went because it was just, it was too much. And, and, and she, she underestimated, right? She would hide in the bathroom for five minutes and it needed to be like 15 uh, because it was a really long piece. And it had a wood floor and they would swing incense and there was a lot of, everybody did this before they sat down, you know. And all of that was amazing for me having grown up very low evangelical. I thought, what are these people doing? And it's so special and better not make any noise. And I had my son who had also grown up evangelical the first six years of his life um, before he came to live with us. And then, and there we were in the Episcopal church. And for a six-year-old boy, you know, there's this amazing thing in front of every pew, the kneeler. Now, it's very, it was very difficult for him to not kick the kneeler over. And in this particular church, it didn't just make a... I've never actually tried this. It went bum, 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 bum. <laughs> oh, man. And I thought, you are breaking the tradition of the elders. And I became very upset. Like, like the steam would come out of my ears. So what I started doing as I sat in the pew was carefully putting my foot up on the kneeler the whole service so he couldn't kick it over. Of course, there was the adjacent kneeler. 
So then I had to straddle the kneelers and sit like that uh, the whole service. It was really, really something. And, and this, this, you know, mom, I'm sure I taught him propriety in the service, but often I just left church angry because he'd made noise. True, true, true story. Now, uh, I, when I went to work in church, is, is, uh, you know, it became really difficult to get him to come with me because he'd have to be there from 7.30 in the morning till 12, and that's really a big squat. I mean, we didn't have a youth group thing at 8 o'clock service. We don't have one here. We just didn't have any, well, didn't have any high schoolers that wanted to go to church at 8 o'clock unless they were acolytes and had to. So, um, it sort of fell out of practice a little bit, and, and mom doesn't go to church. That's what she doesn't want to do. So, um, so we sort of fell out, and we got to start over with our daughter when we moved here. Our daughter, curiously enough, like really wants to come to church starting at 7.30. She really wants to. And that's pretty significant, because since she goes to school here, she's awake more on this campus than she is in our home. I mean, she's here six days a week. Like She's here all the time and she really wants to come and I'd even try to actively discourage her like honey like I'll tell you why in just a second you may already know why uh, but you know she insists on, on, on coming and that's this wonderful thing right that my daughter wants to be here now, I'm gonna tell you this story about traditions but it's really important that you hear you've already given me the gift that I'm headed toward you've given me the gift you give it to me over and over and over again. What I want to tell you, though, is about the landscape behind the gift. See, my understanding of the Song of Songs today, not the Song of Solomon, it's not just his. There's a woman singing. Do you notice today? There's two people singing. And listen, for a long time, the church has understood this to be an allegory about Jesus' love for the church. It's an erotic love poem between two people. It is. In fact, we knew that when we were Southern Baptists, because when we wanted to be naughty, we would read it. Um, that was <laughs> close to naughty as we were allowed to get in church. That's what we did. Um, but you know what's interesting about this one today is it's not just, uh, I mean, look at the attention it gives to the earth and to seasons and to timing. There's a description about seasons being passed and flowers being in bloom. And a lot of people who have this uh, understanding about how important it is that we're stewards of creation come back to the songs of Song of Songs and say, look at the praise for the earth. Look at the landscape. Look at the attention it gives to the earth and the timing. The winter is over. Now come, arise, and come with me. The landscape. The gift you've given me. I've been here like three years and a month, you know. And uh, about three years ago, something funny happened. Um, well, it was funny for some people. Uh, I was sort of up here doing the Eucharistic prayer, and the nursery came in. And, and I think this is this wonderful thing that we include our children in the Eucharist from the nursery. And um, one of those kids in the nursery, maybe you've seen her, she has this bright, bright red hair and these deep blue eyes, and that's my daughter. And, and, and she came in with the nursery worker who was gonna guide her to the rail, and instead she ran, ran down the aisle and sort of grabbed on to this. Initially she started doing something that you might see in Anglo-Catholic churches. She like held down the chasuble floofed it so you could see the glory of the Lord. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what she did. But then she started twisting it around. And then she just sat underneath the table and played peekaboo with people. And then eventually she insisted 
to climb up on my hip, and she started saying, I want to break that bread. I want to break that bread. And when I broke it, she was really mad. And um, the tradition of the elders was children are quiet in church. And this is arguably one of the most vulnerable moments in my church life, where here I am, the priest, and my own daughter is here not being quiet And I thought, here I have let you down again, mother. <laughs> because you could do this with two boys successfully, and I can't even do it with my one kid. I can't keep her still and out of the front. I didn't know. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does these interesting things. <laughs> We're, we do things in spite of ourselves, and I don't even know what I look like when this happens, because you know it's happened like 15 times now in three years. This, in fact, it happened last week <laughs> a lot. And so um, <laughs> I don't know what I look like on the outside, but on the inside I think I'm a failure as a parent. It's my child that's making the noise. And somehow when she did this, when she ran up forward, I mean, Mom wasn't here to get her, and she wanted to go to church, and we just said this thing, right, that this is the table, not of the church, but of Jesus, and everybody's invited, and so somehow, in spite of myself, I didn't tell her to sit down. I wanted to. <laughs> she probably would have sat on the table, so maybe it's better I didn't. Uh, I just, I really didn't know what to say, so somehow... This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, well, I just kept going. I just sort of kept going. I said the Eucharistic prayer, and then she like held on to this while I distributed communion. And the whole time, I knew I was breaking the tradition of the elders. It's a good tradition, because it allows us to pay very careful attention to what the preacher is doing. It's a really good tradition because it prevents us from being distracted by normal things and allows us to think about holy things. You see, that was the interesting thing, is that instead of you coming to me and saying, how dare you, you said, I've never seen a child so comfortable in church. And don't you see, you said the tradition of the elders at least this one time got in the way of righteousness. Now I watched last week this thing happen, and again, I, I'm no freer now than I was three years ago. It's work for me to celebrate the grace of what she does. I watched her sit down there. She just stared up at the bottom of the table, and I realized that there were Sundays in my life when I wish I could have laid that table. There have been days when I wish I could put my head in the holy water font. <laughs> but I know that's breaking the tradition of the elders. How wonderful to see somebody so free to have this intimate moment with her father and her heavenly parent in front of you and for you to celebrate and receive that. What a gift to me in one of my most vulnerable moments in church ever. 
I think the reason, I mean, I think the fact that you gave me that gift allowed another curious thing that happened two and a half years ago when during the eight o'clock sermon, someone stood up and started giving their own commentary. <laughs> um, we'd met the Friday before and he told me he had bipolar schizophrenia and he seemed like a nice guy. And so um, all of us had no idea what to do. And again, it was one of those Holy Spirit moments where <laughs> I didn't know where this gift came from. I just was quiet. <laughs> How rare for me. He said what he wanted to say, and he left. And I realized this is probably the first time he's ever been allowed to do that in church, in his whole life, to get up and say something. Who knows where it came from? It wasn't, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't exactly coherent. But we sat and listened, and he left, and he wanted to. God, he broke the tradition of the elders. But there was so much grace in that moment. And I wonder if that isn't why we get to hear this psalm today about how, well, the king is bedizened with finery and smelling of fine oils and perfume. Is it the call is for us not just to view the king or the president or the congress with that, but to think about people who, especially in moments of annoying us, might actually be clothed with God's light. What if we could just see that instead of seeing them breaking the traditions of the elders? What if the first thing we saw was not annoyance, but curiosity? What if we wondered about the landscape? The landscape. The landscape for me was that I could not ruin church for my daughter. I could not. How could I ruin it for him? This man, God's child, who's never been listened to, perhaps, in church. This sort of, I think, then gives us this opportunity to not just think about our church piety and whether we sort of scowl when people's albs are too short or they step on their stool. I even spilled a whole... <laughs> Chalice of communion wine, you know, it was sort of amazing. I turned around and it was everywhere. People wonder, what do you do? You clean it up. <laughs> That's what you do. And then you go on, right? You go on. And there's something really important about that, us going on. I, I wonder if we don't have this opportunity to think about whether the traditions of the elders, you know, we, they, they guide us and they give us some structure, but when we can, well, just ignore them. And look at the landscape of the people who are bothering us. I wonder if we can't see, like the Jewish Midrash says, this is great Midrash, that says in front of every person is their guardian angel. And everywhere you go, the guardian angel says, make way for a child of God. I wonder if we couldn't make that our tradition. Make way for a child of God, especially when they're malfunctioning. We already know all of this. We learned this in kindergarten. There's a very convincing book that came out when I was in kindergarten about that, right? Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. I'm pretty sure, though, the fact is we struggle to integrate that, which is why the book of James is there to tell us don't just hear the word. Do it. I don't want to use two different words. I want to say sometimes 
we hear very well, but we often struggle to listen. There have been many times in which my parents were sure I was not hearing, and they said, repeat what I said back. I could do that successfully almost every time I was not listening to them. <laughs> I heard them and I did not listen. I've had to do that in job performance. I've had to do that in academic classes, especially in seminary. I could prove I heard, but I was not listening. In fact, sometimes I hardened my heart against listening because I'd already decided what I was going to do. I wonder if James isn't trying to suggest we have this opportunity once again to decide whether we will only hear this bit about tradition, or if we won't instead listen. Listen. To be slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights above. I wonder if we aren't being asked to consider what kind of good gifts we'll give one another. Will we dare to consider the landscape? Why it is that people malfunction? Will we dare to imagine them as God's children before they're just nuisances? Might we, might we, have this opportunity to make room for somebody else? Taking them in is not what defiles us, don't you see? It's the refusal to let them in that defiles us.